I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Yo, welcome to a new episode of Fish Bites. I am Eli Sussman, Managing Editor at Fish Stripes. You know the drill by now. Thorough, unique, fun Miami Marlins coverage at fishstripes.com every day, all year round. Subscribe to the Fish Stripes podcast on any pod provider that you use. If you're using Apple, leave those five-star reviews, please. So, uh, you won't be hearing much from me in this hour this week. Ethan Badowski from the Fish Stripe staff, made a really entertaining guest appearance on the Painting Corners podcast, summarizing all the key developments from the 2019 season, the early returns from the Marlins, rebuilding trades, and more. So I took a big excerpt from that interview, and we're going to queue it up shortly. Most of this episode, you're going to be listening to him and his analysis, a bit of a different perspective than my own, but a lot of great points that he made about where the organization is heading and uh, what you should take away from what recently happened on the field. First order of business, I will run through a variety of news items affecting the Marlins. The worst kept secret right now about the team is that they will be adding some sort of veteran outfielder this offseason, two years running. Ever since those rebuilding trades started, they've had the least productive outfield in Major League Baseball. It's time to change that. Some great prospects coming up through the system, but in the meantime, big need for a stopgap, especially at the corner outfield positions. As I'm speaking to you right now, they have been, quote, linked to a handful of big names. What I mean by linked, reporters showing that they have certain interest or anticipated interest in these players. They've been linked to Nicholas Castellanos, Avisail Garcia, Marcelo Zuna, old friend, David Peralta, Yasiel Puig, and Japan's Yoshitomo Tsutsugo. But no substantial talks for the time being about those guys. If I was to handicap it, the most likely match among all of them going to the Marlins would probably be Avisael Garcia because of the asking price and the skill set. The least likely of all those 
would be Marcelo Zuna, bringing him back considering that he had already declined a qualifying offer and has draft pick compensation attached to him. Uh, David Peralta, the one on that list that is not going to be a free agent, that would be a trade scenario as suggested by Craig Mish, saying that Peralta or similar type players that are near the end of their team control but uh, already are pretty productive and have a good track record behind them. Those are the type of players that the Marlins could target in trade targets if the asking price of these free agents don't come down to what they deem to be a reasonable level. In the meantime, players in the Marlins organization that are playing ball in winter ball, we have updates every single week on Fish Stripes, the series called Off-Season Fish, summing up what's happening overseas at this point, all these off-season leagues in the Caribbean or even further away, as I'll get into. The big story to this point has probably been Lewin Diaz in the Dominican Republic for Estrellas Orientalis. He has been their everyday first baseman, and I say that in the most literal sense. He has started every single game of their Dominican League season. As I'm speaking to you, uh, one of the only players in the entire league to play every single game. Missed a little bit of time earlier in the season before the Marlins even acquired him from the Twins, so he's making up for lost time, but at this point, he's made up for that time and more, putting together, if you look at the entire year, what's equivalent to a full major league season of reps, well over 600 plate appearances so far in the DR, 18 runs batted in, and uh, three home runs while playing really smooth first base defense. Marlins de Miami, obtenido, obtenido una transacción con los bellizos de Minnesota en la... Batazo bien conectado entre Ryan Centerfield, señores. Esto es lo que se llama un palo acechado. Óyelo bien, Santos Peralta. Un palo acechado, señores, de Lewin Díaz, que ha virado ahora el marcador. Ofrezco en breve el comentario de Carlos José. But most likely projection at this point is he'll be a triple A. Actually, the other news coming out this week with AAA is the big reveal of the new name of the Marlins AAA affiliate that's relocating from New Orleans to Wichita. They will be known as the Wichita Wind Surge. Uh, personally, not a huge fan of the name selection. It does have some regional significance, but a little awkward coming off the tongue. Uh, nonetheless, that is where Leywin Diaz will most likely start his 2020 season in Wichita. Uh, old friend Peter O'Brien is also in the Dominican Republic with Toros del Este. He is a free agent at this moment, but he's putting up huge numbers. One of the leading MVP candidates in that league. Uh, he had that nice September 2018 performance with the Marlins, but otherwise a very underwhelming major league track record. I just bring it up because, you know, good for him to impress at this stage, considering that he is a free agent. You would think that his pro career would be somewhat in doubt in affiliated ball if he didn't impress people that are following along with him in the DR. So hopefully that lands him another contract, although not very likely with the Marlins. In Puerto Rico, also playing some winter ball, just getting started up this past weekend, top Marlins prospects Jazz Chisholm and Monte Harrison. They're playing together with Criolis de Quaguas, and both of them combined to put up on a huge show on Saturday with five hits, each stealing bases in that game. They are, at this moment, slated to play for about another month in Puerto Rico. Um, for Chisholm, it's to show the Marlins uh, what they didn't really get to see from him all that much, just like Lewin Diaz, a midseason trade acquisition. The Marlins are trying to get a better feel for where he is developmentally, and this is an opportunity for him to get those reps. With Harrison, missed a lot of time this year with a wrist injury. 
So for him, this is making up for that lost time. And more so than even Diaz or Chisholm, Harrison is trying to make his case that he belongs on the opening day roster. I, I already mentioned all those outfielders that the Marlins are being linked to. He's trying to say, hold up, hold up. I'm, I'm your internal option that can already make a big instant impact in 2020. Uh, he has another month to show what's going on. He'll certainly be at Major League Spring Training. Uh, even further away, really off the grid, uh, Dustin Beggs, a tall right-hander that the Marlins drafted in 2016, he's over in Australia. The Australian Baseball League about to get underway. He is, to my knowledge, the only Marlins player that will be on one of those opening rosters, uh, eligible for the Rule 5 draft. So he's a guy that is sort of auditioning for all 30 major league teams with what he's doing over there. Uh, good luck to him. He had gotten all the way up to AAA last year with, um, with, with some decent results. So he's not all that far away from breaking through to the majors himself. That could be a good story. Good luck to Dustin Beggs. And finally, in the news roundup segment, uh, why don't you head over to Marlins Park next Saturday, November 23rd, football game between the University of Miami, my alma mater, and Florida International University. It'll be a nominal home game for FIU, a little bit closer to their campus. The first football game in Marlins Park in nearly three years. You may remember the ill-fated Miami Beach Bowl that was one of the lower tier bowl games took place for a few years before being discontinued and they are learning from that experience in formatting the football field this time around to try to make it a smooth experience obviously a smaller capacity than you get at hard rock stadium so i'm sure at this point tickets are pretty limited but if not go give it a shot a couple of my staff members will be in attendance covering the game trying to get a feel for how fans feel about attending sporting events at Marlins Park, even if they're not Marlins games, what it takes for the Marlins themselves to create as much interest as UM and FIU football does, etc. If you want a really thorough breakdown of how exactly they set up the ballpark to host football, go check out an article from Wells Dusenberry of the Sun Sentinel, former friends of the podcast here. He has a nice write-up with some of the guys responsible for getting the field ready to play. Spinning forward, uh, for this podcast, in the next few weeks, I'm going to be resuming the Ultimate Marlins Depth Chart series, which is breaking down the internal options that the Marlins have, both major leaguers and all all levels of prospects in their organization moving forward. We'd cover the pitchers, the catchers, first basemen. If I do resume that series in the next few weeks leading up to the winter meetings, we'll tackle the other infielders, second base, shortstop, third base, as well as the outfielders. So that will be, once again, a primer on the kind of production that these players put up this past season and what to expect from them moving forward. But for now, that will do it for me. We're going to turn it over to the Painting Corners podcast, a big excerpt from their most recent episode featuring our own Ethan Bedowski, hosted by Austin Hartsfield and Dave Kukowski, talking all things Miami Marlins. Enjoy. Alright, so time for the Marlins offseason preview. Ethan, Marlins finished 57 and 105 
They finished with the third overall pick, back-to-back fin- last place finishes in the National League. What are your what were your thoughts on this season as a whole? I thought overall it was a good year for uh, the Marlins. A, a good year too. Uh, they put a really really nice draft class together that I'm sure we'll get to at some point here, and I think that was the most positive sign. Uh, I thought the trade deadline was a huge win for them, bringing in some uh, big additions to their system, like Jesus Sanchez and Jazz Chisholm. Um, I, I thought they did a really great job with some of the moves they made, and there were some positive developments on the field. It was nice to see Isan Diaz make his way up to the majors. He had an absolutely massive season down in AAA, uh, and it was nice to see him get some reps, even though he struggled a bit at the end of the year. Uh, he came up just after the trade deadline. Um, really some exciting moments with him, but overall it was just a growth year for the franchise, just taking another step forward after obviously the big tear down that came uh, before the 2018 season. So I, I just thought it was a good step in the right direction. You know, you're not going to take much from the day-to-day results that the Marlins are putting out there because this team isn't the roster, the way it was constructed, isn't the way it's going to be constructed in the future. But uh, I think overall, there was a lot of good positive growth out of this franchise this past season. You know, Mattingly gets his extension and I think it kind of shocked everybody. It felt like it, it felt like it shocked everybody. You know, what was kind of the reaction from the fan base and, you know, what does this mean for the direction of the franchise? Well, I, I definitely thought it was a surprise. I kind of thought that Donnie was just a sitting duck, and, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to say that I was the, a proponent of him coming back. Um, I thought it would be better to move in another direction at the manager, manager position. One guy that I really wanted was Beltron. Uh, when the Mets got him, I tweeted out that I would have really loved to have seen the Marlins uh, go after him had, he, had we decided to go in a different direction from Mattingly, but... I think at some point you got to have some stability in this organization. You got to have something carry over. Um, They kind of did that when they held on to Mike Hill, who's the GM. Uh, They held on to him from the Loria era, and we didn't expect anybody from that era to stick around. But I I just think that Jeter and and the front office are kind of on the same page with Mattingly. Like he's started to go kind of more towards this metric-based way of thinking that is uh, just taking obviously taking the league by storm now. Um, and I, I, I think it's a, you know, it's a, it's a good move just for stability. It wouldn't have been my personal baseball choice, but I, I, I kind of see where the organization was coming from in terms of just trying to keep the same hel- uh, voice at the helm. And I think he really is excited about the project that's going on in Miami. And I think you can tell he's really buying into it with the way that he got really excited about some of the young guys and you could see him paying attention to what was going on at the lower levels, which you don't often see out of managers really, at least from my perspective. So I thought that was really exciting. And, and I think overall, it's a good move to bring Matt, Mattingly back. All right. So jumping into the positions, let's start at catcher. And you really can't go any start anywhere else other than let's touch on JT Real Muto. Traded yeah. the best catcher in baseball. Yeah. He wasn't open to a contract extension. Before we get into the contents of the deal, this deal had to mm-hmm. be done no matter what, right? Absolutely. No, this was the one deal um, besides maybe Yelich that had to get done. Uh, he just had too much value with how much control he had left and and how good of a player he is how hard it is to find that talented of an offensive catcher uh that deal had to be good had to get done for sure yeah i I totally agree so jumping into the deal itself and the contents Mm -hmm. what were your thoughts on the return for real moto well to be honest with you i 
you know, had just seen Sixto Sanchez's name out there on Twitter. I didn't know a ton about him. And then when he jumped into the system, I mean, <laughs> I, I absolutely fell in love with the guy. I mean, he's just, we'll talk about him later, but he is just probably, I mean, he's the number one prospect in the system. Uh, he's the most exciting uh, pitching prospect that we've had since the late great Jose Fernandez. I mean, that's, you know, that's a bold statement, but it's not really hard to back up. Uh, this guy's fantastic. Absolutely electric. He lit up uh, Jacksonville this year. Uh, it seemed like every night um, that he was out on the mound, he was just uh, dominating. And and then I really like and he so he's just really exciting. But I really like the Alfaro acquisition because there's not really a lot of risk involved in it. I would say he's a pretty good offensive catcher. He's got to drop the strikeouts a lot. I mean, the strikeout numbers are really high. But um, I thought he had a nice year, and I was pretty impressed by uh, his hitting ability this year. And and I think he's a nice piece moving forward. I mean, right now there's not a whole lot at catcher, so you got to hang on to Alfaro and hope that he pans out. And then Will Stewart's a nice little back end of the uh, top thirty piece. Uh, a nice lefty arm had some good starts, had some really bad starts. He went like deep with no hitters a couple times this year, so that's a nice piece. I thought overall the trade was a huge roaring success for the Marlins. I mean, Alfaro, I feel, is a guy that will be around for a while, and Sixto is the future ace of the franchise, so I think they did a pretty good job, all things considered. So many of the guys that we talked to with the podcast, I think pretty much everyone that we talked to was acquired in, in one of the deals that we made in the last two years, so there has been, there's so many new faces in this organization, and and those are two of the most exciting ones, without a doubt, especially Sixto. All right, so jumping back at the catch, catcher position. So obviously the offensive production of JT was missed, and you touched on Alfaro a little bit. What does the farm look like behind him? Um, Banfield's down there struggling. Yeah, uh, He's pretty young. So so what's the outlook at catcher um, below Alfaro? Uh, not, there's, not a, there's not a big one at all. I mean, uh, Banfield is is really right now what the Marlins are banking on. Um, he's the only catching prospect in the top 30, and he's the only one really of note down there. Um, he had a really tough year at the plate. I mean, just it, it, there's no other way to put it. it he really struggled at the plate. Um, but his defense is absolutely electric from all uh, accounts and reports. I mean, the kid has a cannon for an arm. He was throwing out base runners. It seemed like left and right every time we had a show, it felt like we were talking about him throwing out three or four guys. Um, so he, he has all the makings of an elite defensive catcher. Um, the only problem is, you know, can he ever put it together with the bat? I mean, Oof! I mean, he hit 199 this year. Yeah. With a, you know, 562 OPS. If yeah, 562 OPS. I mean, had a really, really tough year at the plate. And and you you know, you're never gonna replace that kind of offensive production out of JT Rio Muto behind the plate. He's the best offensive catcher in the league, I would say. Um, so that's never gonna happen overnight. But I mean, you gotta get a little bit of something out of him. So, um. He, he and yeah, that's like I said, like that's really all there is down there. Besides Alfaro, like it's Banfield and 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 whatever else. So the Marlins really have to hope for a quick turnaround from Banfield and an increase in his development next year, or else they're going to have to do some soul searching for at the catcher position for sure. So who makes more starts at first base next year, Austin Dean, Garrett Cooper, or Lewin Diaz? Garrett Cooper. Uh, Coop had a really fun year. He really kind of um, caught the heart, like got the heartstrings of 
the Marlin of Marlins fans everywhere. Uh, he, they, they really love him and he had a really fun year. He had some really big highs and some, some downs for sure. But I mean, there was one stretch where he was crushing the ball every night. And I think he made himself into a possibility of, I, I don't think he's the first baseman of the future. I'm not sure that the first baseman of the future is in the organization right now. If it's anybody, it is Lewin. Um, but I mean, he earned himself another year at starting at first base, unless the Marlins go out and make a play for like an Eric Thames or something. But I don't really see that happening. Uh, Lewin should be up by the end of the year, though. I mean, he had a great, great year uh, down on the farm. And and he kind of struggled a little bit uh, when he came to Jacksonville, but he hit for a ton of power. And he's been hitting for power in the Dominican League uh, or the Winter League as well. So um, he, he, hopefully he's up in September or by the late of the season. I think if he has another good year, he will be. So he'll make some starts. But yeah, Cooper is probably the opening day first baseman at this point. And depth behind Lewin Diaz, is it pretty thin? Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty thin. Um, there's this kid, Evan Edwards, that I really like. He plays in Clinton. Um, he finished the season with Clinton. He was uh, one of the other draft picks. I can't remember which round he was in, but maybe like five or something. But he had a really nice year, uh, and he plays first base in just solid production. Um First base is where we're really dry, uh, where the Marlins are really dry in the system. There's not a ton. Lewin was, when we acquired Lewin, it was huge because he is now the premier first base prospect in the system, whereas we didn't really have one. All A lot of it before that was moving one of these outfielders, one of this we just the outfield is just loaded in Miami, and the thought was moving a guy like Gerard Encarnacion or Tristan Pompey or somebody else to who isn't as uh, strong defensively in the outfield to first base. That was kind of like the project going forward, kind of like what happened with Austin Dean. Um, it's the same thing. So, um, but yeah, other than Lewin, there's not really like a true first base prospect uh, out there. I mean, let's just go ahead and hop on to second base. You know, we keep talking about all of these trades. And, you know, one of the big pieces of one of these big trades just declined. It was his option just got declined. Kind of what's your retrospective on, you know, Starling Castro's Miami career? And did it go how you thought it would go? <laughs> um, no, I thought he would be gone by the first deadline, to be honest with you. I thought that he was uh, a, a guy that had he had a first a good first season, which he had a pretty good year, I think, the first year. Um would have been flipped for a return. And so we were all kind of surprised when he stuck through the first trade deadline. Um, and then we were definitely all surprised when he made it through this year. Um, the reason he made it through this year is because he didn't get hot until right before the deadline. And it was, it was too little too late. Uh, the Marlins couldn't swing any value for him at that point. I, I wrote an article around that time that they just had to get him out just so that they could get Isan in um, because he was just wasting away in AAA at that point with the way he was hitting down there. Um, but yeah, you know, it was just kind of, it's one of those rebuild careers with the Marlins. You know, he's here and he has some really great moments. He had a really great second half this year, um, which will probably get him paid again. And, and you know, he was good to the fans and 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 uh 
always a pleasure was Starlin. So, and he left with grace. So, you know, you can't really complain about that from a fan's uh, perspective, but yeah, I mean, on the field, you know, it was just, it was a, a roller coaster and I expected the Marlins to not let him walk like the way they did, but that's uh, kind of how the cards got played out here. Yeah, I don't want to dump, jump into that uh, that trade just yet because once once we get to the outfield, we're kind of going to go over all three of them. You know, all three mm-hmm. of the big ones, obviously. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. If we look back at that D Gordon trade, though, you know, same position here. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. D played everywhere. What's kind of the outlook on that D Gordon trade looking back? We got Nidert in the D Gordon trade, which was just, I mean, just an absolute steal in my mind. Nidert is possibly our top pitching prospect. Well, besides uh, Sixto, obviously. Um, you could argue he's maybe the next best pitching prospect. Personally, I would say it's Edward Cabrera. He had a huge uh, jump this year, just leaped off the page. Um, but yeah, Neidert's really stellar. He was hurt all year, but he had a really, really nice fall. Uh, he went out to Arizona and had a really great fall. And so him and Duggar made some starts in the league this year, and he's another guy that projects to be kind of a, you know, a an arm that comes up and down every now and then, and he made some good starts. So I definitely think the outlook on that D Gordon trade was pretty good, all things considered. Uh, I mean, I'm the eternal optimist, but I I thought that swinging Nidert out of that deal was pretty good. But yeah, I mean, you definitely lose, you know, there was a huge hole at second base left by D and there was a huge hole in the locker room that was left by D. But um, hopefully with the, hopefully, you know, Isan can be what we think he is, and he can kind of fill that void. What kind of run me through Isan Diaz? Oh man, well, I, I mean, where where do I start? Uh, he had such a good year in AAA. I mean, every night he was just launching the ball. I think he hit near around thirty home runs this year. Um, he was really just spectacular to watch this year. Um, and his defense is something that kind of surprised me. But yeah, it seemed like every night uh, at, at one point in the summer. It just seemed like every night he was just hitting a home run or going two for four with a double or uh, making a sweet play out at second base. So the kid hits for a ton of power. Um, he hit he slugged 578 in AAA this year. Obviously, we saw what happened with the offense in AAA this year. So those numbers might be inflated just a little bit. But his slash was 305, 395, 578. He had a 132 weighted runs created plus. So just an absolutely spectacular year. Um, he draws a lot of walks, which is what I absolutely love about him. Uh, he has a really great approach and, and you saw that when he came up to the minor, uh, when he came up to the majors, he walked at almost a 10% clip and was striking out under 30%. Um, and even though the numbers might not reflect how good he looked, his, his approach looked really advanced for a young kid his age. And he always kind of takes time at a new level to adjust. Like when he got to Jacksonville, when he first got into the system, he started really slow out of the gates and then got really hot to the point where they sent him to uh, New Orleans at the end of his first year with us. And then the same thing happened this year where he kind of struggled out of the gates, was hitting under the Mendoza line in like May and then just came out swinging and started tearing the cover off the ball and put up those numbers that I just read off. So, um, Really just an exciting prospect, uh, left-handed, sweet swinging. Um, you know, everybody says that the swing kind of looks like Robbie Cano. And if you look at it, it really kind of does look like Robbie Cano. Um, I'm not sure he'll, 
I think that's pretty much the ceiling for him. But I think another a, a good comparison uh, my buddy on the podcast, Ian Smith, made was uh, he said Ian Kinsler. And I think that's probably like the most likely scenario, I would say, if it, you know, if it doesn't completely go south. Um, but I, 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 the comparison, the ultimate comparison for this kid is, is Robbie Cano and just a sweet swinging left-handed hitter that t- can get on base and uh, play really good defense out at second base. Yeah, I think uh, I think anybody you know growing up in Texas could will tell you <laughs> that Ian Kinsler was a pretty damn good comp for a second yeah, baseman. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, you know, if if that's how it works out, if that's your worst case scenario, um, then you've got a really nice player with Isan. But um, you know, he's gonna have to take some strides because he did struggle to make contact in the bigs. Um, but he's so he's gonna have to take some strides next year. But I'm not worried about him because, like I said, he takes a while to adjust at new levels usually. So, all right. So moving to short mm-hmm. in. Um, the Marlins 2019 Heart and Hustle Award winner, Miguel Rojas. One yeah. thing that sticks out to me when looking at his uh-huh. stats was his defensive war stat, which was 12.6, which is uh, top yeah. 10 in all of baseball. And yeah. just w- give me your thoughts on his season. Uh, I, I love Miggy Rowe. Uh, he is the heart and soul of the team. He really is. And when we extended him, I was just really happy because he is the perfect guy from this era of Marlins baseball. Uh, that should carry over into the next one when all these young guys come up. He'll be the perfect kind of veteran leader in the clubhouse. Um, he, he can you know play all around the infield, and like you said, I mean, he plays gold glove defense. Uh, you know, he'll never get the recognition for it, but he plays really stellar defense at shortstop, and he, he had some really nice moments with the bat this year, uh, really some good stretches. So I love Miggy Rowe. I'm glad we kept him around. I thought he had a really nice season, and he earned himself the extension, uh, and he earned himself a chance to be, like I said, the the, the carryover uh, from this age of Marlins baseball to what is coming and what we all expect to be just the next great age of, of uh, the franchise here. So looking under him in the farm, <laughs> obviously you got Jazz Chisholm, yeah, uh, the prospect acquired in the Gallon trade. So we can jump into that real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gallon was uh, pretty good around the time of the trade. <laughs> yeah. How did yeah. you f- how did you feel about the trade? And compared <laughs> to how do you feel now? I'll tell you exactly where I was. I was in the line at PDQ, and it was I was going into work, and it was uh, probably like what like two thirty three o'clock on deadline day. And so I'm waiting for the Marlins to do something, waiting and waiting and waiting. And then I see that, you know, gallon to the D-backs. And I just felt uh, betrayed almost, honestly. It felt like what was starting, you know, what everybody said the Marlins was were going were gonna to do, which is all these guys are going to come up and then they're just going to ship them off and, you know, fire sale and the whole thing that Loria did. And he really broke this, broke this fan base. Um, and it kind of felt that way. The optics of the trade were really bad. But then I kind of took a second to look at it, and I realized what the Marlins did, which is they used their pitching surplus, which they had a ton of arms. I mean, they still have some – their system is loaded with arms. And they used that surplus to go out and fill a void in the system, which is power. And they got this kid, Jazz, who was really struggling um, with – uh, in the Arizona system was hitting 204 and then and and had a 732 OPS and his K rate was through the roof. I mean he had 123 strikeouts. 
um, over 30% K rate. But then he came to Jacksonville and was awesome and had a put together an 877 OPS, uh, was hitting for power all over the place, taking walks, and he really kind of cut the strikeouts down. So all of a sudden, now you're looking at a top, he's rated 54 on pipeline right now. You're looking at a top 60 prospect for a guy that ultimately falls in line, even though he was awesome. I loved watching Gallon pitch. He was awesome when he came up to the majors. When you look deeper down the system, he probably fell in line somewhere around four, five, six. And you think that he might be that next guy out and you look at what you got for him and it looks a lot more positive. So I thought the Marlins, you know, as frustrating as it was to watch Gallon go, I thought they did a really good job with that trade and all the trades that they made at the deadline, really, because they had a huge problem with a lack of power in the system. And that has been completely solved with the acquisitions of guys like Sanchez and Chisholm and Diaz. So it gets a lot better when you look at Jazz and then another guy, I don't know if you guys want to talk about him but is is jose devers at shortstop and yeah yeah this guy's fun man i mean he came over in the stand trade and plays great defense and can hit the ball i mean he missed a lot of the year um but he can really put the bat on the ball all across in 47 games this year he hit 322 with a 781 ops and he is 19 years old he is younger than i am almost a year younger than i am and so this kid is really, really, really exciting. And the way he plays defense and the way that he can hit at such an advanced, he's in high A and he's putting those numbers together uh, is really impressive. So I thought the Marlins did, you know, that Stanton trade, obviously the Castro thing didn't work out and it was a, more of a money deal than anything. But Devers was the real gem of that trade for sure. You know, he kind of went from jumping back to Chisholm for a second. He went from the Jackson Suns to Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp like our friend Tommy Ewald. <laughs> I'm sure we'll talk about uh-huh. it later. Uh, interesting character. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Uh, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, who sticks at shortstop? Is, can both of these guys play short? Or do you think that somebody like Jazz uh, winds up playing second? Um, if anybody, you know, if you're telling me, okay, only one of these two guys sticks at short from a defensive side – it's got to be Devers. He's a little more advanced defensively. He's supposedly one of the best uh, defensive prospects, if not the best in the system. But don't sell Jazz short on his defense either. I mean, he's a pretty solid defender out there from all accounts. Um, so I think those both of those guys really have a good shot at staying at short. I'm trying to look down. Um, Osiris is another exciting uh, shortstop prospect. Don't even get me started on Nassim Nunez. I love that kid. Uh, and then Jose Salas is a kid that's a little bit farther away at shortstop um, from the international free agency market who, you know, we'll see coming, you know, slowly coming up the tracks uh, in the next few years here. But the the future at shortstop is pretty bright for the Marlins. But I mean, it, at the end of the day right now, because of what you gave up to get him and because of his stature as a top 60 prospect, you have to hope that Jazz is the guy. Um, just from an optics standpoint, you have to. And don't be surprised if a short if shortstop, when the Marlins are ready to go out and get a big name, if shortstop is the position that they go after, uh, you know, get not saying they're going to get Francisco Lindor, but a really trusted Marlins beat reporter, uh, Craig Mish, has always kind of hinted that not it's not going to happen, but it, it's something that the Marlins would consider down the road, 
but I'm not going to speculate on that at all. But I'm just saying that uh, shortstop is a position because of the way that the roster construction currently breaks down that the Marlins could look into making a huge acquisition at, you know, two or three years from now, I would say. Where does Nunez fall in your favorite Marlins prospects and kind of why is he one of those guys? <laughs> He's right up there. He's just lovable, man. I mean, he just came in and young kid uh, just has like bright eyes that just he, he looks shell shocked every time he walks in the ballpark and he's got this swagger about him that uh <clears throat> will really excite you as a marlins fan i mean he just has this like he's got like drip almost you know every time he walks around and his instagram is really is a fun follow and him and the boys down in the gcl are just always chopping it up and looking like they're having a good time and just looks like a kid that enjoys the game and just does it for the love of the pure passion of the game, and he's really good at it. I love slick fielding shortstops, and he he didn't end up his numbers don't look great at the end of the year, um, but he started out hitting pretty well for an 18 year old out just out of high school. Um, so he's really an exciting prospect that the Marlins have, and uh, you know he's way he's 18 years old. He just got drafted. He hasn't even reached full season ball yet, um, but. He's a guy that definitely plays into the cards at shortstop in the future for the Marlins. But, you know, that's three to four years from now, I would say. I have a feeling that this is everybody, like uh, probably 50% of Marlins fans' favorite player. So we're going to the Uh hot corner. How good was Brian Anderson this year? Good, good, Um, really good. I mean, he sold me. Like, I I always kind of thought that third base was the biggest hole because there's not a true third baseman. Like if you look at our top 30, there's not a third baseman listed on here. Um, and I was kind of afraid about the third base position and Anderson's ability to stick there. Now I'm not going to say this dude's like, you know, a a championship winning third baseman. I still believe in the concept that you have to have, uh, you know, a Nolan Arenado, Chris Bryant, uh, you know, type Bregman uh, at third base. Yeah. Bregman, uh, Rendon, you know what I mean? At third base to win, to win a championship. I still think third base is one of the most important offensive positions out there. Um, and I don't think Brian Anderson is a championship winning third baseman necessarily, but he's a guy that can hold over that third, that hot corner for, um, uh, the next few years until, you know, maybe the Marlins are ready to make a jump. Um, people get mad at me on Twitter all the time for saying that BA, you know, won't be on this team if, when they win a championship. Um, but he he definitely earned himself the right to get a shot at being the third baseman of the future. I'm still not a hundred percent sold, but I mean, he's going to play third base for the next probably three to five years for the Marlins, unless they go out and, you know, third base is where they acquire a big name. Um, you know what I mean? So um, he, he's the guy going forward right now because there, like I said, there is nothing behind him in the system. There are a few, you know, fringe, frenzy draft prospects that just came up that play third base, but nothing really serious yet in terms of a guy that's going to come up and take his spot because there's just nothing in the system right now to do so. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg. This is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. 
Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This outfield looks very different than it did three years ago. Yeah. Very yeah. different. Is it three now? Are we to three years now? Um, yeah, they got traded before the 2017 season. Yeah. 2018 that was, season. That was so the this purge. will be the third year. That was definitely the purge. Yeah. So let's kind of walk First. back through some of these trades real quick before we get into the current one. We're going to leave the Yellows trade last because I hate Lewis Brinson. <laughs> so that's the primary reason. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about Ozuna first. You yeah, know, yeah. Alcantara back, likely. You know, a big pitching prospect for this ace. He was pretty good. Like, I, I yeah, like it. You know, great. you get Sierra, it's then great. you get Gallon, who you wind up trading for Chisholm. Then you get yeah. Castano. How did you feel about that trade initially, and how do we feel about it now? It wasn't the headliner you know it, de- right. it, it, it was the third one was kind of the one yeah it was definitely kind of the one that flew under the radar even though maybe besides stanton probably the best ozuna was so loved here he was so loved here we loved ozuna and we were so sad to see him go and he left with so much grace but um you know the the sierra thing like went south really fast like we were all really excited about mags and then he just kind of turned into like he would be so good in 2007, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But he's just not like he, he, he's just not the kind of um, player that is really successful in the MLB today because he doesn't hit for a ton of power and he doesn't take a lot of walks. But you know, he when he gets on base, he can use his speed so well. He's such a tremendous base runner. Um, Sandy, I'll talk about in a second. Gallon, we touched on. I don't know too much about Castano to be honest with you, um, but. Gallon, I mean, you flip, you turn into Jazz, which is great. And so ultimately the trade is Sierra, Jazz, and um, Sandy for Ozuna, who's probably going to be out of St. Louis this year. I mean, I don't, you know, yeah, really. No, he's, he's afraid. There. He's, yeah, he's gone. So um, overall, I mean, <laughs> you know, that's not too bad. Um, Sandy is just electric i mean he really is and you know all the talk was the stuff and can he put it all together and he didn't really strike out a ton of guys this year which was really kind of weird considering how electric his stuff is but he just got the job done like he he threw a maddox uh this year he he had like a complete game on like 80 something 89 pitches maybe a guy foolish baseball will appreciate you so much for that (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was he was great, man. I mean, he just um just like I said, just got the job done. He pitched a full year, which was huge because he was not healthy um the year before. He he had struggle with some injury, but he played himself into a rotation spot in the future um because, you know, all all everybody that was kind of down on Sandy said that, you know, he'll be a 7th inning guy and 8th inning guy, but I mean, he just was tremendous this year. And so I'm really, really excited about Sandy. I think he can totally put it all together um, and, and you know, be still be that two or th- that two, you know, maybe, I mean, with Sixto coming, it's hard to say that anybody besides him will be the right. ace in the system. Um, but yeah, he can definitely play himself back into reaching his ceiling. Fangraphs put out this article about his sinker. I don't know if you've read it. But he started using his sinker more in July. He really went away from the fastball and started using the sinker. And his FIP was great. And his strikeout rate was up 6%. 
And um, the the sinker, the pitch shape and everything that they talked about was just so much better than the fastball. And that's when he really started finding his success was down the stretch. So uh, I'm excited for year three of Sandy. I'm looking forward to seeing another, hopefully another full year out of him and watching him continue to develop. So, you know, if he turns into that two and Ozuna's not in St. Louis anymore, you know, all of a sudden you that win. trade doesn't look too bad either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That trade doesn't look too bad either. So it's it's um, hard to say that you want to trade if you don't get a title out of it. Yeah. If you're the contending uh, team, for sure, for sure. No, it is. You know, especially what with what the Cardinals tried to do. They tried. They needed a power bat, and they brought in Ozuna. And you know, he was great there. Don't get me wrong. I I love Marcel. I've rooted for Marcel the entire way, even though I absolutely Seems despise like a grizzly him. bear. Yeah, he is. He's just like a grizzly bear, but he just goes out there and he just has fun and just enjoys the game. And, you know, he, he makes a fool out of himself sometimes in left field. But, I mean, the kid, you know, he hits for a ton of power and he's a good, solid hitter. You Nobody can underestimate how much of an impact Barry Bonds had on him. That was his breakout season was when Bonds was the hitting coach here. And that was 2016. And since then, he's just been a completely different ball player. And so it was definitely sad to see him go, and it would be awesome. It's not going to happen. But free agent, everybody wants to bring Ozuna back. It's not going to happen. But, um, you know, he, he, I, I success the rest of the way, and I think the Marlins ultimately do, did a pretty good job with that deal, just despite the criticism, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because that's – I feel like that's always going to be known as the third deal, you know? Uh-huh, absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, let's go to the let's go to the first deal. Let's talk about the I guess what everybody thought was the biggest one at the time, which I think might actually provide maybe the worst return, maybe mm-hmm. out, of, out of all of it. And let's talk about the Stanton deal because I mean Castro's for gone. who for the Marlins or for the Yankees? Oh, for the Yankees. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah for the Yankees, I mean, he's like the most hated man in New York, and that's saying yeah, something. I know. It's really upsetting. Go, <laughs> really oh upset. boy. <laughs> <laughs> I love G, but anyway, uh, you were saying? But yeah, you know, let's go ahead and we've already talked about Castro. You just talked about Sandy. Somebody that somebody else that's probably going to wind up in this rotation is Jorge Guzman, who was in this deal. Yeah. We've already touched on yeah. Devers. Kind of walk us through Guzman and like, you know, what he means to this organization right now. Flame thrower. I mean, this dude yeah. is just straight heat at all times. Flame thrower, and the secondary stuff kind of came along this year. And the numbers got a lot better. Uh, he's still walking a ton of guys, but he really cleaned it up at the end of the year. Like his end of the year was really, really nice, actually, um, which is really just kind of, you know, bodes well. Like I, I always kept saying he is going to do everything he can to try and prove to the Marlins that he can be a starter in the majors um, because that's all he knows how to do is just pitch and be a starter i mean he put together some really nice starts at the end of the year um and he he spent the full year in jacksonville i would expect him to be up in new orleans next year the walks have to come down the walks have to come down he or else because he just kind of like explodes like he'll be having a great outing through four or five and then he'll just kind of have one inning where he'll blow up you know what i mean and if he doesn't have that inning where he blows up then he's absolutely fantastic but if he does then you know it 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 gets tough with him so that's why i still kind of think that he plays as a reliever and i think that's there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever like the the 100-mile-an-hour fastball and pretty good secondaries, a nice slider and a changeup that's coming along well. Um, 
that's going to play tremendously out of the bullpen. So worst case scenario for the Marlins, they found their closer of the future. Uh, he, he's totally a guy that could be just an elite closer because like I said, he can be really, really good in short bursts. And that's all you need out of a closer really is one inning, you know, five outs sometimes. And if he can do that consistently, um, but he, but like I said, it, we, we shouldn't be talking about this because, uh, George will tell you, and, and he switched from Jorge to George this year. He'll tell you probably that he's going to do everything he can to be a starter. And he showed that in his performance at the end of the year. So this is the year for him. This coming year is the year for him. It's either he pitches really well at the next level or if he stays in Jacksonville or he struggles and he heads to the bullpen. We'll know this year whether he's going to be projects to be in the rotation for the Marlins in the future or whether he's going to be their closer of the future. Are you telling me that two people that changed their, how people say their names were in the same deal? Yeah, I know, right? Right at the beginning of the year, he was like, oh, by the way, my name is George, not Jorge. Yep. I did it, and I did it. I said Jorge on the podcast the whole season. Oh, really? It's like how people. It's like how people still call the Chargers the San Diego Chargers, yes. or still call the Marlins the Florida Marlins. I still call him Jorge all the time. So, you're not the first person to make that mistake for sure. How often does a trade go down, and the centerpiece of the trade is the worst player in the trade when it comes down? Like I'm feeling. You, like, you mean you're, you're calling Sandor's player? Here? No, no, no. We're going oh, to the Yelich oh, trade because Lewis Brinson. <laughs> there is a reason that he's been traded it five times. No, it, it feels it like five happen. times at least. It doesn't happen very often. And it really um, doesn't. It really doesn't. It's so it's so upsetting um, because I love LB. I love him. Um, he's and he fooled the, us in the beginning of the year. He he did. There's still moments where you're like, God, that guy can do it, man. But uh, he's just, you know, it, it just seems like another uh, Buxton or um, Broxton. You know, it's just the same kind of thing. This athletic freak that has all the tools to be a great baseball player, and he gets to the major leagues, and he can't hurt a, hit a curveball. Um, so, yeah, it's crazy how that happened right away, where you got this kid coming in, and he's your opening day center fielder replacing. Um, you know, one of the new faces of the league uh, in Christian Yelich, and and he it just doesn't work out. Um, but the rest of it is great. Yeah, the rest of it is great. And what I will say is, it was really bad. It was really really bad until the trade deadline this year, um, because there of what the Marlins did to make up for the fact that LB isn't going to pan out. Um, and the depth that they added to this outfield and the depth that they added to the system, especially with the draft and the deadline, like the one-two punch of the draft and the deadline that they had, the Marlins are going to be all right. And um, as sad as it is to say, um, Lewis Brinson doesn't seem to be part of the plans of the future in this franchise, which if you told me that two years ago, um, I would have called you crazy. Yeah, and I mean, that's, he was that's good enough. Panned out. He was good enough to be in deals for like Jonathan Lucroy, who was very con- he contributed to that Texas team at the time when yep. he when he got traded in Milwaukee and Christian Yelich. So you're not a bad you know you fooled two different organizations yeah. into thinking yep. that you were good. You sure did. And the other thing is like the 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 Brewers saw something. Yeah, you know because the Marlins went after Vlad or Bichette. 
this is you know what is reported is that the Marlins went after Vladar Bichette because they knew what they had with Yelich, but the Blue Jays wouldn't budge. So they you know they went after Acuna and the Braves wouldn't budge. And all credit to the Blue Jays and the Braves, no matter how good Christian Yelich is, for not budding uh, on Acuna and on Vladdy and on Bichette because those guys are going to be tremendous. They're three of the you know faces of this new era of baseball. But credit to the Brewers for for saying, you know what, this is this guy is somebody that we need. We need to go after Christian Yelich. He can take the next step here. He can become that thirty power, you know, that thirty home run hitter that a lot of people saw. He can, you know, I'm not saying I thought he was going to be an MVP perennial MVP candidate and hit 320 and slug 700 every year because I didn't. I can't believe it's the case. But I knew he had 30 home run potential. Every Marlins fan that watched him will tell you that he had 30 home run potential. Um, and, you know, and now all of a sudden, you know, Lewis Brinson is what you get back, and it's tough. But from the, a Brewers standpoint, it's great because you took that risk. You said, yeah, we might be giving up on this on this Brinson guy, and maybe he turns out to be great, but our guy, the guy that we want is going to be better. And look at how that worked out for him. You know, two playoff appearances because of him in a row for a franchise that – was just kind of whittling in mediocrity for a long time. Yeah, so we already talked about Brenson. We've already talked about Diaz. Monte Harrison is the third of four pieces. How good is Monte Harrison? Guy, this is my guy right here. Like, number one guy. We spoke to him at the beginning of the season uh, before all the injuries went down, When he was and he was hot. He was on fire when we talked to him. And he is just the most down-to-earth guy um, that you could ever talk to. Um all about faith, all about family. Uh, his brother is Shaq Harrison, who's in the NBA. Um, and so he just comes from, he's just got athlete in his blood. And dude's just a pure athlete. He's a dog. He played high school. Uh, he played football in high school. I think he was like a high recruit in high school. And and the kid's just a baller. He, he's got swag. He wears the chain. He One button's unbuttoned. He's got the white arm sleeve and the white cleats. And he just has the makings of a ball player, you know. And um Really kind of had a tough year in Jacksonville when he first came into the system and Kate a ton. And and that kind of suggested to me, all right, they'll just run it back and, you know, have him go to Jacksonville. But clearly the Marlins saw something in him because they sent him up to New Orleans this year and he tore the cover up the ball, uh, put together a really, really nice year um, with an OPS right around 800 um, hit for power. And he kind of had this new approach that he p- implemented in the fall league uh, last year um, when he went to Arizona. And there wasn't a ton of power coming at, from it. So coming into the year, we were like, will Monte tap back into that power? We all know he has. And he did. Uh, he hit uh, nine home runs in 56 games this year. So um, the kid's really good. He is going to have to cut the strikeouts he's going to struggle with strikeouts early in his MLB career, but if he can hit the ball hard, which is all he does when he puts the bat on the ball, he hits the ball hard and it goes really far. And he's a good defender because he's so athletic and he's got a great arm. Um, he's going to be a really good ball player for the Marlins. And, um, 
I am so excited. I cannot, I'm drooling over Monte. I cannot wait until he gets up to the bigs because I will be at his debut and I'll be in a Monte Harrison jersey. So I love this kid. I can talk about him all day. I talked about him all year on the pod. And like I said, just a great kid that's easy to root for, which is what what a lot what what's happening a lot around this Marlins organization right now is good kids that are just easy to root for. And um, I think Monte, you know, obviously Brinson was the face of the deal, and Isan has emerged, and Yams we'll get to in a sec is awesome, but Monte's the gem of the deal, no doubt about it, just because of the presence that he'll bring, and also because I just think he's going to be a good ball player. Let's talk about Yams. You know, great first yeah. half. And, yeah. you know, how does he project? Um, I was so surprised with his performance when he came up because I knew, I knew the kid was good. Um, he was he dealt last year. He had a great year last year and then struggled a little bit in Jacksonville this year. Um, he's like he's he's Kyle Hendricks. I mean, not he's not as good as Kyle Hendricks. Don't get me wrong, but <laughs> it's similar. You know, the makeup is similar. Just not going to blow the fastball by you, but he's going to put it in a spot where you just simply can't hit it. And the changeup is great. The curveball is great. It's wicked. And he's just got the stuff that can just play. You know, he's not going to overpower you like so many of these pitchers um, nowadays are. And, and the Marlins have a lot of those guys in the system. Um, but he's just going to, you know, pitch his way. He's, he's just a good pitcher. Uh, does he project as the ace, the two, even the three? No, probably not. Um, you know, some people like uh, Eli, who's our editor at Fish Stripes, is kind of lower on him than I am. He thinks he kind of plays as like a journeyman arm, you know, back and forth between AAA and, you know. Um, but I think he's – I think he can play into the rotation very well at the back end. Um I think he's got a future in the organization for sure because he's just got it's just pitchability with him. Like he can just throw his pitches where he wants to and strike you out. And I was impressed with the strikeout numbers when he got up to the bigs. He was striking out a ton of guys. So I think Yams can play. You know, he's not going to be the the number one, the number two, but I think he's a guy that can definitely hang around in this rotation for a long time. Um, you know, but with the arms that are down there, you know, he, he is a guy that could definitely get passed over just because of the amount of talent that's still yet to come up to the bigs for the Marlins. I mean, we kind of hit all those trades now. That was pretty, that was actually pretty fun. Those deals were crazy, man. I mean, when that was all going down, it was just like learning new names, you know, figuring out where this guy slots into the organization. You know, is this the, is this one of the guys of the future? You know, is he or is he not a top 100 prospect? You know what I mean? Like, and 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 it was so tough because of the noise that was all around. And, you know, I was obviously always a big proponent of this rebuild. So I kind of had to play, you know, that just relax. Just I do that with Padres Twitter all the time. Yeah, no, it's tough, man. It's so hard because people get so angry. And and like I said like earlier, like Loria really broke this fan base. I mean, he really did. Nobody trusts this team anymore. But coming back, it's starting to happen again. People are starting to kind of see what's going on down in Miami. 